Good morning. I hope everybody's doing good this morning. So we're going to be doing something that's a little different today. As many of you know, graduation is but one day away. And all you three seniors that we just saw up here, despite all the nerves that you guys may be accumulating, I hope that you guys uh, are excited and eager for this next big uh, step in your lives. So we're going to be honoring these three amazing young adults by telling you a little bit about them. And it truly is my privilege to be in the position that I am um, because it's my very first time preaching a senior Sunday. And we couldn't be honoring a better group of seniors. And I'm especially glad to have my friend Lance here because uh, this is not his first time. And if you'll notice, probably not from where you're sitting, there's a little bit of gray in his head. And that serves as evidence that he has preached a plethora of these senior Sundays. So Lance, you've probably seen it all, man. I haven't quite seen it all, but I have seen quite a bit. And this Sunday is a little bit different. And one of the things that's a little bit different about this Sunday is out of our three kids that we are honoring, two of them had older siblings that were in the youth group before them. So I'm going to get, I'm going to, get to pick on two of my favorite people in the world, Kylie Hobbs and Devon Hulse. Um, first and foremost, when they were in the youth group, I'm just going to say that they were fun, and I'm going to leave it at that. A um, lot of energy, a lot of excitement, but in their leadership styles, because both of them were leaders in the uh, youth group, they were very vocal. They were not scared to be down front leading. Yeah, so that's actually what we're going to be talking about. Um, there's people who are natural people persons, and by, by that I mean that they naturally draw attention, and interacting with others comes really easy for them, and these kind of people, they're typically loud, not only in speech, but also in presence, and they tend to have this limelight that always follows them because of their charisma. Now, there's no question when someone like that enters the room. And to parents and grandparents, these kinds of people are probably their favorites. Um, well, before we get there, sorry. <clears throat> Some people are made different. You have the people where the limelight follows them. Uh, but on the other hand, we have those people who don't enjoy moments where all eyes are on them. They take better to the behind-the-scenes action. They're quiet. They're laconic. They're to the point. Actions speak louder than words kind of people. And those people, I mean to say, are, are grandparents and parents' favorites because those are the people who are quiet. And, and there's this saying that my grandma used to tell me, and she still sometimes does. She says, calladito se ve más bonito. Now, in English, that translates to, you look more beautiful when you're quiet. <laughs> now, what's funny is that in Spanish, it sounds so sweet and so kind, and it even rhymes, calladito bonito. But you don't realize the dryness of the saying until you translate it to English. And so growing up, I took that to heart because I knew that my grandma was trying to tell me to zip my lips. My sisters, on the other hand, didn't quite catch that meaning. Yeah, I didn't have a, a Mexican grandmother to teach me that. <laughs> I never learned that one. <laughs> and so here, here's what we want to get at, though. Both kinds of people are integral. Both people are vital to life. And so, so we, basically you're saying 
both of us have something to bring here, even the one who's not as beautiful because he talks too much. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you. And so we naturally encounter characters of the two different types um, in the Bible. And one of the best examples that I can think of is of two brothers. The first brother, he goes by the name of Cephas. Now, many of you know him as the Apostle Peter. And without giving you guys any kind of context, I bet you guys can already guess what category Peter falls under. And, and what would that to be? To your grandmother, not the handsome one. Correct. He's the chatty one. He's the chatty one. Peter is the alpha, and this, his alpha-ness comes with this grittiness as well. And that actually directly ties to his name, which means rock. So he's electric, he's loud, and he isn't afraid to speak up or take action as a bold, fearless, prominent leader. Sounds awesome. <laughs> and I think one of his best moments is in Acts chapter 2. Now in this chapter, we, uh, we read that after he stood up and testified to the crowd that the person who they crucified is both Lord and Messiah, that 3,000 people were added to their number. And they weren't just added. They accepted Peter's message and were baptized. Yeah, and that probably is one of the highlights, I feel like, of Peter's life. But my fear is that sometimes I think that we might overvalue Peter's gifts and overemphasize those traits at the expense of people that are just a little lower key. You know, after all, there were 11 other um, disciples there that day that didn't have the opportunity to get up and preach, and they were every bit as faithful and every bit as important to the mission of the early church. But oftentimes we hear lessons about boldness and proclaiming the gospel, and we tell people, be like Peter, and get out of the boat, and do those things, and be bold, and sometimes there's not a lot of room left for those other 11. Yeah, and Lance, I mean, I think you'd agree that those bold teachings are great lessons um, because we can, we can all gain something for that. But for Peter, even though he wasn't afraid to be this bold leader, he also wasn't afraid to make a fool of himself. Um, his boldness sometimes led him to some of his greatest mistakes. And those mistakes, he oftentimes made them loudly and proudly. Absolutely. Peter doesn't have a filter. Sometimes he says the absolute right thing, and he says it boldly, and he's completely right. Like when he says, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the one. And at that moment, it's like, yes, he nailed it. But sometimes he says absolutely the wrong thing. Like, Jesus... I, I will die before I let you get arrested and go to the cross. Um, sometimes he just gets it wrong. He's the impulsive one. He's the one that when they come to get Jesus in, in the garden, he takes the uh, sword out and he chops off the guy's ear. And we typically celebrate that boldness and that leadership. But sometimes that leads to just a total fail. Not all loudness and boldness is good. I mean, a total fail is not a total fail if you do it halfway. Peter didn't do anything halfway. And so about a month ago, there was a story in Connecticut about a high school baseball team that was scheduled to play a game. However, recent rains had completely soaked the fields, and it looked like they needed to cancel the games. However, there was one man, and he wasn't just a regular man. He was a bold man. He was a brave man. And he had a bold vision. And that vision was fire. Because he knew that fire makes heat. 
and heat dries out a field, and a dry field equals a baseball game, and this bold man boldly loved him some baseball. I bet you've had some baseball games that were rained out. Absolutely, and if it means, if fire means that a dry field and we can play baseball, I'm all for it. Okay, well, so Captain Bold here thinks to himself, what makes fire? And pretty soon his mind turns to gasoline. And soon this one man is pouring gasoline on the infield and then lighting it up with a bick. And being a natural leader, soon, not the teenagers, other adults said, hey, that looks like a pretty good idea. Raul, they dumped 24 gallons of gasoline on a dirt infield and lit it up. Now, this is the point in the story which, if typically we were talking about being bold, we would hail this man as a hero and a visionary. But alas, just because you're bold and loud doesn't mean that you're wise. In fact, it's going to cost around $50,000 to clean and repair the field. And not only did they not play games that day, they're not going to be playing games for a while because they completely ruined the field. Sometimes the wiser, quieter, and more boring approach is the right path. So if we've called me bold and to pick on boldness, I'm going to call you boring now. But you, know, you know what? Boring is actually the, the trait that Andrew took up often. So that idea exactly brings us to Peter's brother, Andrew, because he often took the more boring, but it was a lot wiser approach. Um, you see, what we know about Andrew's life from the Bible is that it was lived under Peter's shadow. He is literally famous for having an even more famous brother. Um, and Andrew's witness and testimony in life and in death, though it's less talked about, I truly think that it's something um, that we can all learn from. And a lot of Andrew's traits I see in our graduates this year. Oh, absolutely. You know, Andrew wasn't even thought of as a leading figure amongst the 12 disciples and then not even in the early church. Yeah, in fact, going all, along with that too, in any list of the 12 disciples, um, Andrew is always mentioned after Peter. At some point, you'd think Andrew started introducing himself as first name Peter's last name brother. And it gets even more interesting though, because in one of the Gospels, the Gospel of Luke, the only mention of him is in a list. And Lance, guess where he's listed? It is actually after his brother Peter. Every it's time. Every time, after his brother Peter. And it's a similar situation in the historian Luke's book of Acts. Andrew is only mentioned one time, and it's also the last time that we hear of him in the Bible. But once again, it's merely a list in which he falls behind his brother. Yeah, and we tried to figure out from church history which one was older, and there's not a lot of reliable sources for that. And so we're guessing that it's Peter, but I think it would be super interesting if Andrew was actually the uh, older brother. Absolutely. But we don't know. And so John, he tells us that Andrew was actually the first disciple that Jesus calls. And what Andrew does in this call narrative, it really summarizes the kind of person that he is. You see, Andrew had previously been a disciple of John the Baptist. And then he heard John's testimony, and John said that there is someone greater than he who will come after him. 
And so listening to his words, Andrew decides to follow Jesus. And once Andrew decides to follow Jesus, the very first thing Andrew does is he brings Peter to Jesus. And this is going to be a major theme in Andrew's life. Andrew rarely is mentioned individually in the Gospels, but almost every time that he's mentioned, he's bringing someone to Jesus. Yeah, and there's this other instance in the Bible where Andrew brings someone to Jesus. And this time, it's for the benefit of 5,000 people. You see, Jesus had been preaching to and teaching and healing these 5,000 people. And then he realized the time. It was supper time. And nobody had eaten. And so he turns to his apostles and says, how are we going to feed them? And Philip, he says... Not even with 200 denarii can we feed these 5,000 people. Everybody would get one bite, not even a full loaf. And so just when Philip answers Jesus' question of how are we going to feed these 5,000 people, Andrew walks up. And he walks up with a boy. You see, Andrew had been working on this problem quietly. And he finds a boy in his dinner. And this boy has five loaves and he has five fish. And as many of you know the story, out of this boy's dinner, Jesus performs a miracle of such magnitude that even after they feed the crowd, they have leftovers. Here's the thing, though. This story is recorded in all four of the Gospels. And it's only in one Gospel, the Gospel of John, that Andrew is mentioned. He's the catalyst for everything that happened in this story. And it's completely behind the scenes. So Andrew brings the little boy to Jesus. And that's the domino that tips everything else. And it doesn't much, and it doesn't take much to think about the church. And how oftentimes we see and hear Peter's on stages like this. But you and I both know, and everybody in this room knows, that there are dozens of people that are, that are like Andrew. That are lovingly serving and working on problems behind the scenes, and are quietly bringing people to Jesus. Andrew only gets around 12 words quoted in, in the text, and unlike Peter and John, he, he didn't write books that are, that are included in the uh, Bible now, but Andrew exemplifies that well done is better than well said. So Lance, we've talked about who, a lot about who Andrew was not. He was not his brother. He was not a leading figure. He's not mentioned in the Bible as often as his brother. So now I kind of want to change things a little bit. I want to talk about who Andrew was, the kind of faithfulness and the servanthood that he devoted himself to. And so I'm going to read to you guys a description of Andrew by a guy named Herbert Lockyer. And he says this, Gathering together the traces of character found in Scripture, we have neither the writer of an epistle, nor the founder of a church, nor a leading figure in the apostolic age, but simply an earnest seeker after truth, better suited for the quiet walks of life than the stirring thoroughfares. You see, Andrew was a quiet, earnest seeker after the truth. And though he might have been passive and quiet in nature, his desire for truth was not passive. And the truth that Andrew finally finds leads him to the cross. And so today, we think of St. Andrew's cross as this uh, 
decorative piece as a mere symbol. It's the one that you see on flags. Yeah. And, and I had heard about what that was. I knew it more for the for the shape of the symbol than I actually thought about the actual apostle Andrew. So he's he's behind his brother in 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 popularity, and then he has an actual symbol that's named for him too, and I think the symbol is more famous than the man. Yeah, absolutely. And he, actually, here's why it's famous, is that, as many of you probably already know, St. Andrew's cross is, is in the shape of an X. Okay, so upon getting sentenced to crucifixion, Andrew says this, I am not worthy enough to die on, a cross that, on the cross that my Lord died on. And so he requests to be crucified on a cross that looks different from his Lord. And it gets even better than that. Because he hung on this cross for two days straight. And it gets even better than that. During these two days that he hung on the cross, he continued to preach the gospel, not only to his executioners, but to everyone who was around him. And it gets even better than that. <laughs> Let me tell you why. When Andrew was on the cross, preaching to his executioners and to all those around him, somebody recorded some of his last words. And here's what Andrew says. I would not have preached the honor and the glory of the cross if I feared the death of the cross. That is powerful. And so we've talked about this, and you and I kind of landed on a word that we want to walk around in just a little bit when we explore Andrew and that word is meekness. Now, you're more highly trained in Greek than I, so uh, put that word in context for us. When he says I'm a more highly trained Greek scholar than he is, this is actually what he means, that I can type the word meek into Google faster than he can. No, that's true. That's so, what the <laughs> so the Greek word for meek is actually praos. And you'll find that this same Greek word praos that's used for meek is also used for words like humble and gentle. Strong's Concordance says that it's God's strength under God's control. It's demonstrating power without undue harshness. But here's what we have to understand about meekness. That it is better understood through action than it is words. Oh yeah, and the most obvious place to go with that is the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus literally says that the meek will inherit the earth. And so you just gave an awesome definition of what meekness is, but I think to really understand it, I think you have to see it. And I can't help but to think of my dear grandmother and how she lived her life and how she visited people and she took meals and just how she sacrificed and loved. And when you see somebody living out a truly meek life, it brings that definition to life. Yeah, and this, this word, meek, it's all over the Bible. Moses was famously called meek. And Isaiah 53, it foretells of the meekness of Jesus. And that's even before he is actually crucified. Listen to Isaiah's words. He says, He was oppressed in, and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. At the heart of meekness... Is Jesus. Absolutely. And so we can better understand meekness. I want to tell you guys a story of a man whose heart was made up of this. So on January 30th of 1956, Martin Luther King Jr.'s home was bombed. 
And King was at a church service when he received the news of this bombing and his wife and his baby daughter were left at home. And Miss King, she hears this weird sound outside of the house. So she runs through the hallway and for the front door. And it wasn't but seconds later that they felt the blast. And so the legend goes that King didn't take not even one breath from the time that he heard the news of the bombing until the time that he got to his house. And when he got home, King found that thanks be to God, his family had avoided harm. But you see, King also found an enraged mob made up of his supporters. And this mob had guns and knives and shovels and pitchforks and any kind of weapon that they could lay their hands on. And you would have thought that King would have raised up his own weapon, but instead, King raises up his hand, free of any weapon, and silence falls over the crowd of angry men who are ready to go to war. And this is what King says to them. Peace, be still. And so at that moment, King had the power to retaliate, but instead, he chooses to stand down. King makes room for God's peace. It's not weakness, it's meekness. And I love how that story brings in the element of bravery into meekness. But I want to tell you a story that on the surface doesn't seem as heroic. In fact, it seems downright common to almost everyone that was present there that day. Mark's going to tell us in chapter 12 that Jesus leads his 12 disciples into the temple and they go and sit down opposite of the place where uh, offerings were put. And the disciples and Jesus watch the crowds putting money into receptacles that most likely there would have been 13 metallic uh, bins in which to put gifts. And they would have been kind of trumpet-shaped, and they would have been made of silver or gold or something that was metal. And they would have been sitting in the courtyard where everything was made of stone. So as people come to give gifts, it would have sounded a lot like this. Loud. Bold. And dramatic. And they sit there, and they sit there, and they sit there, minute after minute, hour after hour, of loud gifts to God. And Jesus sits there. And the disciples are probably thinking, Teacher, what are we doing? And maybe, maybe, when somebody with a particularly large bag would walk up and get ready to dump it in, maybe the disciples would kind of perk up and say, Jesus, like, is this, is this the one that we're here for? And Jesus sits. And then probably, maybe, not even noticed by anyone, a widow approaches. And she's not carrying a big bag. And she takes out two simple copper coins similar to what I have here. And there's a simple plink, plink. And compared to all the other sound and loudness that would have been going on in the moment, Maybe nobody heard it. But Jesus did. And Jesus stands up. And he points her out. And he says, that's the one. She's the one. She put in more than anyone else. She gave everything. She gave all that she had.
to live on. You see, sometimes in the loudness of our world, a simple plink, plink can cause God and the flesh to stand up and take notice. Sometimes a simple plink, plink causes the heavenly realms to thunder and to delight. And we can learn from that. That, my friend, is powerful. Absolutely. And so I think one of the small but thundering moments that caused God to stand up was when our little boy, Dimitri, was born. You see, Dimitri, at 10 months, he was only 9 pounds. And he hasn't grown much since. (laughs) But even though Dimitri might be small in stature, I I think you guys can all agree that he has one of the biggest hearts that you'll ever know. When Dimitri was in middle school, every Wednesday I would get the same text message. Can you pike me up? P-I-K-E. And it was autocorrected. And I would see that and my heart would just light up. And of course I'd say yes. And I'd go pick him up. And every day I would ask him, so what did you learn at school? And for I don't know how many consecutive years, he said nothing. And so I don't know how you graduated, because every day I'd say, what did you learn today? And he'd say nothing. And I'd say, I'm, not, I'm done paying taxes, Dimitri. If you're not learning, I don't have to pay my taxes. Um, but obviously he did learn. And uh, he learned a lot. And Dimitri is so sweet. And he came to so much stuff that the youth group did. And every time he was here, things were better. Um, he had this attitude that was spot on. He was joyful to be around. He's just such a sweet kid. And that megawatt smile that could light up a room. And one day he came to me and said, I want to be baptized. And I said, awesome. And we studied and we talked. And in doing that, I also got to study and talk with his mother. And they were baptized on the same day. And is there a more Andrew thing in the world that when Dimitri was baptized, he brought somebody with him, which is exactly what Andrew did with his brother, Peter. And Andrew's de- uh, Dimitri is definitely an Andrew type, but he's less bashful now. In fact, he has stood in this very pulpit and has co-preached a sermon with Doug. And what was the best part of that sermon, Raul? Dimitri. Yeah, Dimitri, yeah. <laughs> in fact, the only thing that would make this better is to bring him down here yeah. right now. Um, but he's such a sweet kid, and, and it has been a privilege to, to get to work with him and to watch him learn and grow, and you're just amazing, and we love you. And then there's Haley Hobbs. Oh, Haley. <laughs> Kylie was our youth group's beater, and Haley just kind of hid behind her for quite a while, kind of drafted behind her. And then one day, she flipped the switch, and I could be wrong, but I think you wrote me a letter. Did you? Yes. I, I, I have it in writing somewhere that you basically are like, I want to be more involved. I want to do more. You did, I think you wrote me a letter. I think, I, I, I've got it. And so she writes me this letter, and she's like, I'm ready. I, I want to step up. And step up, she did. She started planning girls' retreats. She started to help teach teach classes. She helps in the, in, the, in the children's Bible classes now. She helps her aunt with her cousins. Haley has just so stepped up, and she has done so much, and she is awesome, 
And one thing you need to know about Haley is family is super important to her. And Haley, to your church family, you are super important to us. And we just want to encourage you to continue to fan that flame of wanting to lead and of wanting to teach. And we are just so proud of you and how far you've grown and how far that we know that God is going to grow you. And we love you and you're awesome. And then Kieran. Kieran, the first time I saw you in boots and jeans was at a rodeo. And I thought, well, that phase will pass. I mean, there's no way he's going like, to stay a cowboy his, uh, his uh, whole life. And Devon may be more vocal than Kieran, but he's not more bold. Sorry, Devon. He gets on the back of bulls when they're angry and mad and ready to bike. As close as I want to get to a bull is a T-bone steak on my plate. But Kieran gets on the back of those bulls. And I, I guess from a, from a pastoral point of view, I could say probably the really good thing about that is I bet his prayer life is real good just right before they open the chute. And I bet the prayer life of Susan and Pam gets real good too. Um, but Kieran is awesome. And we're going to keep praying for you if you keep getting on those bulls because it's not a smart thing to do. Um, <laughs> but we're going to keep praying for you and supporting you and loving you, and we are proud of you today. And so what we want all you three seniors to know, Haley, Kieran, and Dimitri, is that today is not a farewell. We want you guys to see today as a step towards maturity. And we've discussed the, the vocal, bold Peter types and the less vocal but important Andrews. And the church needs both kinds of people. And I believe that God is calling us into full maturity. So we want to close with some writing, ironically, from Peter. And it's in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. He says this, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And so for Peter, I mean, he's like, well, you know, this is easy for people like me. I mean, I'm super bold. Like, I'm always just willing to answer anything. Um, but I think maybe this encouragement is maybe more for the Andrew types. Be prepared to have that answer. And Andrew obviously did, as you talked about him on, on the cross. Yeah. Yeah, and here's what you, what's interesting, too, is that Peter follows up that idea with this. But do it with gentleness and respect. So it's like you were saying. Peter is saying to be bold, to be ready, to be vocal when you need to be. But on the other hand... Do it like my brother, Andrew, with gentleness and respect. And so I think the idea that we want to close with here is maybe all of us were born a certain way, but then we're reborn into Jesus. And Jesus can take that bold, impulsive, talks too much Peter and can kind of transform that and soften that and under his control and power, meekness, can make him a little bit more like his brother in some important ways. And then with Andrew, he does what? He stays quiet. <laughs> <laughs> but under Christ's power, he says, be bold. Be ready to have an answer. And so today, we want to offer an invitation. Maybe you're kind of the Peter type, and you're bold, and you're brash, and you're, and you're prideful, and you've never humbled your heart to Jesus and said, Jesus, I need to be reborn. I need to be forgiven. Or maybe you're kind of an Andrew type 
that you've never had the, had, the, had the boldness to walk that aisle and come down here and say, I need a Savior. If you're an Andrew type, if you're a Peter type, there's one answer for both of you. And that answer is Jesus. If you have needs of the church, come as we stand and sing.